mindfulness mode. I think it's important to remember that our thoughts become all the things that we have. Hey, Mindful Tribe, great to have you here again. And I'm excited today. I have a film producer and he's not just any movie producer. He has been very successful with the films he's created. And these films are on personal development and improving the way you see the world and how you can move forward and what you're trying to achieve. I am so excited to have Douglas Vermeeren with us today. Hey, Doug, are you in mindfulness mode today? I am absolutely in mindfulness mode. <laughs> that is fantastic. That is fantastic. And you've just finished your most recent movie, and I'm, I'm going to share with Mindful Tribe a bit about you. Douglas Vermeeren has produced and directed four of the top 10 personal development movies ever made. His latest film is called How Thoughts Become Things, and it features Bob Proctor, Marie Diamond, and Joe Vitale, and other people. It's set to become the next phenomena of its kind. Douglas has personally interviewed more than 400 of the top achievers worldwide. ABC Television and Fox Business refers to Douglas as the modern-day Napoleon Hill. So that's a pretty sweet way to have yeah. people refer to you, Doug. That's great. So what does mindfulness mean to you? Wow. You know, that's a really great question. And I think, um, quite frankly, it changes from time to time, right? Yeah, it does. Um, for me, I think when you say mindfulness, there's, there's really a couple of things that I think about. One of them is being completely present, right? That's being mindful. And I think uh, oftentimes it's very easy to be distracted, especially when we are, you know, how should we say, mindful of what we want to get done versus what is going on around us. Um, you know, a handful of years ago, I had the chance to, um, to interview a gentleman who had written for Time magazine. And there was a thing that he had written, uh, you know how they do those uh, single volume Time magazines that you get that are on either the brain or fitness or happiness yes. or whatever. So he had done an article in one on, on happiness. And um, the thing that was interesting about it is, as I talked to him about this idea of where are we most happy or what robs us of the most happiness, he said it really is our lack of being present, that we often worry about the future, we worry about the past, and we don't enjoy the present. And so I really like this question, what is mindfulness? I think as I try to become more mindful, for me, it's an element of how do I become more present, right? How do I really get super focused on either who I'm with or what I'm doing or in the moment, or even if it's just focused on the breath that I'm taking, right? Well, you certainly seem so relaxed and grounded and happy. And we're going through this coronavirus thing. How are you doing with that? And what's your best advice for people as we move through this? Yeah. Well, you, you know what? Um, I, I want to be authentic at the same time. Uh, I may look like I'm calm and everything, but that's not a consistent, right? As human beings, one of the things that was interesting when we did the movie, How Thoughts Become Things, there's a lot of myths out there in personal development that if you want to you know, manifest a better life, if you want to be happy, you've always got to be positive. You've got to be a positive thinker. You've got to be always optimistic. You've always got to be hopeful. And the truth is, is as humans, you know, we can't do that. That's we have not realistic, where, is it? Yeah, it's not realistic. And, I, and I, th I think that's hard for people because they feel maybe like a, a bit of a failure or they're or struggling if they have negative feelings from time to time. And there are purposes for that. Um, the other thing that I think is important to notice about thoughts that we discovered is that whenever a brilliant, enthusiastic, powerful thought shows up, something that you want to do, thoughts never come by themselves. They always come in pairs. And so right behind it will be the thought of, am I good enough? Can I do this? 
We start to fear, we start to doubt, right? And so I think we've got to recognize that we get to choose when they both appear, but they will both appear. Now, to answer your question about coronavirus, what I've been up to, you know, it, it's kind of interesting because um, a lot of the interviews I've been doing lately, like I just got off with CNN a little while ago and we were talking about the most dangerous aspect of the coronavirus. And most people, you know, right away say it's the health, don't touch this, spray everything down, blah, 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 blah. And I'm not discounting that by saying blah, 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 by the way. I'm saying that's just what they've been telling us and it's, it's a lot. But the most dangerous thing, I think, in my opinion, is how it's really affected our thinking. We've become very fearful, right? We even, you know, if I've had to go to the grocery store, there's people that literally won't walk down the same aisle with me, right? And yes. I'm not sick, but they're worried I might be. Yes, right? that's right. And there's people who also now their economics have changed, their financial situation changed, and they're afraid. Mm -hmm. And rather than be empowered, it's paralyzed them. And then naturally, even just in terms of uh, the thought processes, that, in fact, it's funny, I, I was reading a statistic the other day that said that divorce lawyers are at an all-time high because people are having to spend time with people that, you know, they love if, it, if, if they get to relate with them casually. But now that they're up close and personal all the time, people get on each other's nerves, right? Yeah. And so I think that there's a lot of things in that that come directly back to our thoughts. And, you know, I'm not sure if we'll get into this in the show, but it really begins with our programming. And not just what we've been programmed, we often think of as a kid, you know, my, my parents programmed me, but we forget that we actually arrived into a series of programs that were already running. For example, my parents were programmed by their parents, were programmed by theirs, the communities that they were involved, the situations that were, I arrived on the scene in the midst of programming and it hasn't stopped ever since. In fact, we're being programmed even this very second. People who are tuning into this show right now are being programmed by what they're hearing. And so I think one of the big things that we need to understand with coronavirus or any other circumstance is that we need to recognize that we have power over our programming, but it starts with awareness. We can only really begin to shift things as we recognize where we are and what we're experiencing. And then also, most importantly, recognize we have a choice. Yeah, we really do have a choice. And, and Doug, I know one of the things that you talk about a lot is gratitude. One of your mm. very successful films called The Gratitude Experiment really makes this clear. Let's talk about gratitude for a minute. How can that shift our mindset and improve our lives? Yeah. Well, you know, one of the coolest things that I discovered when we made that film, The Gratitude Experiment, and actually maybe even rewind, why did I make that movie? Well, as you mentioned, um, you know, the media calls me the modern day Napoleon Hill for these interviews that I did with 400 of the world's top achievers. They were not all thought leaders that I interviewed. I interviewed people who were the heads of companies like uh, one of the four founders of FedEx, the people involved in Nike, Reebok, Disney, the Avita Group, Christian Dior, Ugg Boots, Uber, Ted Baker, like you name the biggest brands in the world. I've had a chance to interview those people, Hugo Boss, all these guys, right? And the thing that was interesting is as I read the success books that had come out over the years and even attended the seminars, they're actually kind of incomplete. Most of the time, the people writing a success book have never really experienced multi-billion dollar success or even multi-million dollar success. They're basically writing what they read in someone else's book or some things that they think make sense. And the truth of the matter is, is most of the success books out there are missing some key components to getting their success. One of them, gratitude. In fact, all of the top achievers that I have ever interviewed are not scarcity thinkers. They're not from a place of jealousy, comparison, or competition. In fact, one of my uh, mentors that I thought was really kind of cool, um, became like a grandpa to me as well, was Frank McGuire. He's one of the co-founders of Federal Express, former VP of marketing of all of KFC and American Airlines. He was aide in the White House under Lyndon B. Johnson and JFK. 
He was the personal philosophy teacher of Marilyn Monroe for a time. Wow. Just an incredible guy, right? Wow. And there's even more to him. Like he worked at ABC when it went from radio to TV. He gave Alan Alda his first job. Like this guy was dialed in, right? And it was so interesting to see that as, um, I did something that got me. When he was um, at FedEx, this idea of not being scarce and you know having a, a, a good relationship with everyone was really interesting when he said one day the um, the CEO of UPS called him and said, well, Frank, you've finally done it. He goes, what do you mean? He goes, well, we had somebody just call UPS and say that they'd like to FedEx something. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> right? and, and so they would laugh about that kind of thing, right? They had a, a com camaraderie, even though they were competitors. Right. And I think it's really interesting to notice at a low level or what I call the slow level or the no level kind of relationships or connections, there's much more jealousy and there's much more competition. And we're worried that is someone going to get a piece of my pie, right? But you don't see that at the high levels. They're, they're very um, embracing that way. And gratitude certainly is one of the biggest powers. In fact, we found in the movie that gratitude literally expands anything that it touches. So you want a better relationship, you need to be grateful for the one you have. You want more abundance, you got to be grateful for where you are, right? Like all of the things are attached to gratitude. And if you think about it, the universe ever since the Big Bang has been in expansion mode. It's been growing, it's been expanding, right? So anytime we operate in opposite to that, contracting by, you know, taking things for granted, by you know, complaining, by criticizing, by playing small, by making excuses. We're actually fighting against the entire universe, not the flow of it. And you know, one of my favorite things, and this is kind of funny too, just I know we're going way off on gratitude. We could talk forever about gratitude. Yeah, we could. The, the, the problem is, is most people are grateful for, meaning the things that show up in their life. I got a nice house, got a nice car, got a nice... They're never grateful in, right? right. Gratitude isn't necessarily created the same way. And I was chatting with Bob Proctor. Um, and funny, funny enough, actually, as we were making this movie, he and I, um, we got together, he was doing one of his paradigm shifts events uh, in LA. And so I got to spend the day with Bob in, in his hotel room. We just got this big hotel room where, you know, we could set up all the equipment and the gear. And so we did his interview and then we just kind of chit chatted and spent the day together and blah, blah, blah. So we were talking about this idea and the secret they talked about that everything vibrates at a frequency. Remember hearing him say yeah. that? Oh, totally. Everything, you know, everything, even this table, everything yeah. vibrates at a frequency. And so we got on the subject of what is it that's actually vibrating? Like, what is the universe made of? Like, what is the matter, right, of the universe? What is it? And as we started talking about things, obviously, uh, you know, we didn't talk about things on the periodic table, right? Like, right. it's X amount of carbon and X amount of this, and right? Yes. But what we really kind of determined is that the universe as a substance is actually just made of different manifestations of gratitude and love. That's really what the universe is made out of. And obviously things and people and, you know, events or anything that vibrates at a low, low frequency really repels, right? It does not give the opportunity to grow or expand or feel inclusive or anything like that. But things that are of a high level... We feel that. We walk into a room and certain people, we, we're just drawn to them. Yeah, and, totally, and, yeah. and together as we even engage with certain people, things automatically get created and expand and grow, right? Yes. In fact, it's, it's, it's really kind of funny because like I said, there's a high level, then there's the lower, the nowhere, the slow level, right? Uh -huh. And I'll never forget that one of my business mentors, as I was talking to him, he said a really funny thing. He said, you'll never do a million dollar deal at a $10 breakfast. Now, <laughs> I thought that was interesting and although we often equate that to, you know, what we pay for a ticket to get in someplace, you can look at it that way. But really it is, is it's a kind of thinking. 
You know, at a $10 breakfast, it generally attracts people who want to make their 10 bucks back, people who want to sell something, people who want you to come and join them to get in whatever they're doing, right? But at a million dollar level, you know, or a a higher level, people tend to go for different reasons, right? They're there more as a, uh, they're looking to expand. They're not looking for a sale. Yeah, right? that's a really good point. Doug, right? if that I, makes sense. Yeah, it totally makes sense. Doug, I want to hear a story from you, uh, a story about when you were seven years old growing up in Canada. Were there any signs that you a would be working? Story. A hockey story? Maybe. I was <laughs> yeah. going to say, w- were there any signs you would be working in personal development and being a film producer? Hmm. What were well, signs back then? Yeah, de- definitely there were, and not personal development. In fact, um, my father worked in construction. My mom babysat kids in the home. I didn't know anything about personal development. But as a film part and as, I guess, a business person, yes. Um, first of all, from my mother, one of the things that she said that I used to do, and I'm not even sure where I learned this, when I would be given chores to do, what I would do, like say, for example, on our front lawn, we had this tree that dropped pussy willows all over the place. And my oh, yeah. mom used to tell me she would pay me five cents per pussy willow. So what I did is I had some of my friends there and I said, you guys help me clean this up. I'll pay you a penny on each one. <laughs> and so I actually supervised that rather than did it. You and outsourced. Thing with, I outsourced, right? I mean, and, and this is it. Like um, one of the things we didn't talk about and if people are interested, you know, we can go here either today or another time. But one of the things that I learned very quickly with, uh, later on in life with working with the 400 of the world's top achievers is how to create passive or leveraged income. And recently, Money Magazine rated me as the number one passive income coach in the world, not really because I'm smart, but because I use the techniques from those 400 achievers. And that's all they're doing every day. Is they don't, you know, Warren Buffett, who owns Dairy Queen as well, doesn't go in there and flip burgers, right? right. He just, right? So there's systems that we create that create passive income. So we'll talk about that later. But Um, now kind of going to my seven year old filmmaking experience, I was really blessed to be born in the area, the era of the blockbusters, right? Yeah. So when I was five, star Wars came out Uh shortly thereafter, we had shows like Raiders of the Lost Ark and ET and all the big, big films. And so for me as a young man, and I'll never forget my grandpa, um, before, you know, when, when I was a kid, before he passed away, he gave me this old eight millimeter movie camera. Oh, yes. And, uh, you know, I started kind of fooling around with that, see what that was all about. And then a blessing kind of happened when I was in about the seventh grade or second grade. I suppose that would make me about seven. Um, My mother was working at a photography studio to make ends meet for our family. And the manager of the photography studio had sent her son out to become an extra in TV shows and in commercials and all this stuff. And so my mom kind of heard a little bit about the kind of money this kid was making. And so I got a chance to start doing some of that when I was a kid. And um, so my very first movie, uh, I was in grade two. It was called Mildred McFall. You're in Canada. So it was for CBC. Right. And I think I was paid $50 for it. And I had to ride a bike. I was a newspaper boy. And uh, I always joked that they should have given me stunt pay because the newspapers were so big and everything. And I'm riding (laughs) this bike and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, that was my first movie. And then I continued through junior high. I used to actually skip high school classes to go and be on the movie sets when I could, uh, when they were in town. In fact, my drama teacher was the only guy that said, I'm okay with that. Everybody else was not happy about it. Not happy. (laughs) Yeah. And then funny enough, this is even crazier. I started doing stunts in film. And uh, I did stunts on uh, a couple of, you know, fairly big movies. The last movie that I did stunts on um, and photo doubling was Open Range with Kevin Costner, Robert Duvall, Annette Benning, that oh. cowboy movie. 
but yeah, I've done all kinds of my craziest stunt that I ever did is I jumped from a motorcycle to a Hummer at, uh, what was it? Uh, 60 kilometers an hour. And then it got more dangerous because they attached it to a trailer and the trailer didn't balance. I had to jump, do the jump again, but that was more dangerous. And I had hockey gear underneath, but no helmet. Right. So it was, it was interesting. So did you play hockey as a kid? I didn't. In fact, I I can't skate. I'm a Canadian that can't skate. Oh, that's unusual, isn't it? Yeah. I can go, but I can't stop. Maybe that's better to say it that way. (laughs) And even then I don't go very fast. Yeah. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. My my sport is actually, I do mixed martial arts. So I do competitive uh, mixed martial arts. I do Brazilian jiu-jitsu specifically. Ah, so interesting. So, yeah. And you have to be mindful for that too, by the way, that's an interesting thing because if you hesitate and you're overthinking or you're over planning, you get hurt. It's kind of like what Bruce Lee said. You must be like water. You must be in the moment. And, uh, what is it that kind of Mike Tyson said? He said, everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the face. Right. And so if you're, you know, in a jujitsu match and you're overthinking it, or you're trying to think ahead or whatever, um, you don't respond quick, right? You just don't, you must be present. Yeah, absolutely. Doug, yeah. I've worked in bullying prevention for a long time. So I always ask a question about this. Were you ever bullied as a kid or did you ever bully Capital anyone yes. else? Yes. No, I, I would, I'm, I'm only five, six right now. Uh-huh. Right. And even for a, an adult, that's not the tallest guy in town. Right. But as I was a kid, I also was small. I was bullied. In fact, that's probably why I got started in martial arts. You know, the thing that was interesting though, and I'm so glad, and this isn't a commercial promotion for jujitsu, but I'm so grateful that I discovered jujitsu because I went and I did all the other martial arts, but you still are required to have strength to execute a lot of that. If there's somebody that outweighs you, I'm sorry, karate and things like that, you know, there's benefits, but it's still pretty, you know, he who throws the first punch and catches the guy wins. And so I kind of had a lot of that stuff when I was a kid. In fact, I remember I had a group of kids one time who filled one of my hats full of sand and put on my head and took my backpack and all these kind of things. So yeah, I got bullied all the time. And so I have a big empathy for those kids. And, you know, I have to admit even, uh, you know, up until probably about junior high, I was bullied pretty regularly, but you know, what's worse than that is I have a brother who had cerebral palsies on his left side and he got bullied. Uh-huh. And so I would get in fights sometimes with kids. He's only a couple of years younger than me. I would get in fights with people protecting him. And then I'd also get my butt whipped in that too, right? Oh, wow. That must <laughs> but, you know, And you're able to yeah. laugh about it now. <laughs> well, yeah, but you know, what's kind of crazy is um, now I'm very accomplished. Like I said, with martial arts, I've got two gold medals for Western Canada and my divisions. Um, I kind of wish, and you know, this is maybe a mean thing to do, but I kind of wish one of those guys would come by the club one of these days and say, I'd like to learn jujitsu. And I would raise my hand, I'm going to teach you. <laughs> right. That's maybe a mean thing to say. Right. But you know, we kind of feel that in the background. I never hurt anybody. And, and jujitsu actually, I think is called the, you know, the gentle art for a reason, but I do definitely feel more confident. And perhaps those guys were a blessing because they, they push me to now want to learn to do this so well. Right. Like I don't want to be on the receiving end anymore. Right. Right. Well, what have you learned from your most recent movie? What, what have you learned from doing how thoughts become things? You know, the, the thing that's fun about doing these movies, and I really, really feel bad that I can't bring the audience with me every time. But when I get, like we talked about with Bob Proctor, spending a day with him and some of these other speakers, like we really develop good friendships. But it's also one of the circumstances where when I do the movie, 
you know, I spend a day with these guys, but only a handful of their thoughts make it to the final film. Right. And so for me, I just love the fact that I can sit and, and spend time with them. And just to kind of share, like with the movie, I've tried to share more with this movie than ever before. So because of the internet and things, we have uh, bonuses and bonus features and all these things that people can access that go beyond just the movie. So even when they grab the movie, you can't leave without, we give you a free workbook so that you can go deeper into it and see some of the thoughts, how they work. There's things in the book that's not included in the film, which is kind of cool. There's a book of uh, power quotes and thoughts that um, a lot of stuff that was never able to make it in. And sometimes it's also that the audio didn't collect, collect right, or the thought was a perfect. So we, we fix it, put it in the book differently. There's also some interviews that are there, some behind the scenes. So Literally, there's hours of bonus footage that has high, high value that's now available that wasn't before. And then we're working with a publisher right now to put out a book through all the mainstream bookstores. I've added a bunch of stuff based also on emails that I've gotten and questions. In fact, one of my favorite experiences thus far with this film, really, really cool. So I get emails almost every day of people who've seen the film. And most times, it's just a simple line saying, hey, we loved it. Great movie. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Whatever. Um, when the movie came out the first week, I got this email from an 11 year old boy in the UK. And he said, thank you for the movie. Funny enough, he said, uh, his favorite part was when we talked about fear in the movie. And he specifically mentioned, uh, Karen Perkins who's talking about spiders and stuff. And so he said, um, you know, I'm grateful that you include that about fear because I'm afraid. And then he mentioned bullies. Mm -hmm. He said, every day I go to school, I'm afraid of bullies. He says, I'm not just afraid of bullies, but I'm afraid of the future. I'm afraid of my school. I don't know that I'm ever understanding this right or I'm going to do well. And then he mentioned something interesting. He said, right now, he says, I, I know that the coronavirus, and he was very humble when he said it. He goes, I know that the coronavirus is here. And a lot of the conversations in the media are to adults. They tell, you know, this is what you need to do. This is, you know, staying clean. This is your, because nobody's really talking to us kids about this. And I'm terrified. I've never seen this. And my parents aren't super well-equipped to talk to me about it. He goes, but when I saw the movie, I understood that fear is, again, a form of an emotion that we feel because we don't understand what's to come. So fear is generally a product of the unknown, right? Yeah. And so to me, that, that was really, really kind of cool to see that that helped him. And that's my favorite kid so far that I ever got a letter from, um, you know, because I, I could see that we had made a change. And this is the thing about these movies. Like, you know, one of the things that's really kind of cool when I did my first movie, The Opus, um, I met a gentleman in Antwerp, Belgium. He came up to me with his dad one time. And I won't tell the full story, but this kid had been through some drug challenges. And, you know, he'd gotten a girl pregnant that it didn't work out at that time. And he ended up in rehab and he was going to take his life and all these things. And he said it was basically because of an audio CD that he'd gotten a hold of with, from me that it led him to realize that he had choices. He had power. And so for me, that was amazing. By the way, just the quick ending on that is he ended up getting cleaned up, fixed his life, married the girl that they had the baby together, interestingly uh -huh. enough. And um, now he, he's a successful business owner. And of course, now he's attending seminars like mine all the time um, to keep his thinking uh, where it needs to go, right? So to me, it's that idea. You can see the seeds in the apple, but you can never see the apples out of the seeds. I mean, there's people that have been touched by our movies or some of the speakers in our film that, you know, we may never know about it. Yeah. Yeah. What a great story, Doug. That is, that Pretty is cool. really, yeah, it's a very yeah. good story. Yeah. 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 Well, you know, this, this movie is terrific. How thoughts become things and you can, you can check it out. Go to my affiliate link, mindfulnessmode.com slash thoughts. Mm -hmm. 
and you can uh, check out the movie, download it. And, and like Doug said, get some of those extras that can go along with the movie, because that's, that's great that you don't just get the movie, you get other things to go along with it and yeah. you get options. Yeah. One of the things that's amazing about this too, is especially we've talked a little bit about the coronavirus and that's one aspect of what we're really all dealing with right now. But I think it's important to remember that our thoughts become all the things that we have. So whether it's feelings of self-worth or feelings of even your connection to things of spirituality or your health or your relationships or the abundance in your life, whatever it is, right? These are all connected. And a lot of times people, they look at these words and the words that they find are the most important to them our thoughts and things. And the truth is, as thoughts, I think we really misunderstand that as we started to talk in the beginning, that we, we feel like we've got to be so positive and everything's got to be perfect. But we're going to show you how actually it really works, right? Because the truth of it is your negative thoughts actually have power that serves you. And most people, they don't know that, so they don't embrace it. So therefore, they can't create with it. The other thing that's interesting is this idea of things. Well, that's actually the weakest word in the whole thing. You know, this idea of things. And what I mean by that is things we don't understand that they actually already all exist around us. If you in your thoughts are going, I want a Ferrari, you know what? They already exist. You're not creating it, right? Most of the things that you ever will want, even things that haven't been invented yet, in, exist in some form or another. Even the challenges that will create them, they already exist. But this is actually, even though it's the smallest word here, it's the most important one. You know, and it's interesting, this idea of become, and that was intentional. We put it small because you're going to ask, well, why is this, 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 that one stands out. It's not like the others, like the Sesame Street song, right? One of these right. things is not like the others. Right. That's the one. And maybe to give it a context, let me share it like this. I love Jim Rohn. And had he been alive, he would have been in this movie. So he said once that if you win the lottery, if you're going to keep it, you need to learn how to become a millionaire really quickly. So in other words, all the things that we want exist on some form of a vibrational level. If we're going to maintain them in our life, if we want to keep them in our life, we need to understand that become means change. It means that we need to make a change. We need to um, take ourselves to a new place where we've never been. You've heard that, that saying that says, if you always do what you've always done, you're always going to get what you've always gotten. Yes. And we all nod our head and say, oh, that's really, you know, it's a nice motivational phrase. But then we do nothing with it. Right. right. We don't, we don't make the changes. We don't like one of the things that I noticed when I was out interviewing the world's top achievers, again, coming from a broke kid, a 19 year old, my father, like I said, worked in construction. My mom babysat kids. They took every job they could. Their idea of becoming rich was to get overtime pay. Right. Yeah. We're going to work harder. Yes. And so I had to become something different. If I was going to uh, create a, a different experience, I need to focus on the become. And so as I began to meet these 400 world's top achievers, the biggest thing that changed first was my thoughts. We become like the five people we spend the most time with. And by the way, it's not a matter of just going to have lunch with a millionaire every once in a while. And it's not about the things that happened in your past. It's not the people you spent like the past tense, the most time with it's the people you spend the most time with like current tense, present tense. Right. And so as I began to be influenced by these other people and they became not only mentors to me, but friends and people who genuinely cared about me and wanted me to do well, I began to understand some things about myself. What is the Oprah said? A mentor is someone who shows you things about you that you've never seen before. Right. right. Yes. And so I began to see things about me. Now, here's where it gets really kind of cool as a 19 year old with their support coming from a poverty background with narrow mindset, with a, a programming that told me this is the way things are done. They took me, shook me upside down a little bit 
And I was able to do $1.6 million in my first six months under their support. That's average $9,000 a day, right? By the way, that's pretty incredible. That's US, not Canadian. So do the exchange and it gets even better, right? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Right? And so, you know, from there, and I'm not saying that money is is your only uh, definition. In fact, net worth does not equal self-worth. Let's define that right now. Definitely not. Definitely not. But when you have the ability and the belief in yourself that you can make a change like that and that you can see progress like that, it starts to affect every area of your life, right? Everything becomes abundant and rich. Now, I'm not saying I'm perfect. And I think that's important, again, to come back to thoughts. Not every day goes great. In fact, I've got three kids. They're all for sale. And sometimes (laughs) I yell at them, right? Really? Really? I do. (laughs) Never at my grandkids, though. I got three grandkids now. Them I'm keeping. Them I'm keeping. But why I say that is because I just want people to keep it real. Those of you who are listening to this show, I want you to know that it's attainable. And don't seek for perfection. In fact, one of the things that I said in the opus was that top achievers are not perfectionists. They're improvisers. So we need to learn how to know what we want and then improvise our way to it. That's the way that it's going to occur. And if you're seeking perfection, you're always going to be disappointed, whether it's in yourself or other people. You see, it's our expectations in life that create our feelings about things. You know, and if you expect things to be perfect, you're always going to be disappointed. But if you expect you can do it, even though it will be tough, or there'll be moments where you got to just kind of hold your breath and bite your tongue, you can do it. Right. And that's the other thing, too, is I've got a book I'm working on right now called The Willingness Factor. And we talked a little bit about expectations in it. And one of the things that I think is phenomenal that I learned from the top achievers is that, you know, if you want to become successful in life, um, you've got to manage expectations and then exceed them, right? You've got to find a way when people expect things like if, you're, if your wife expects you to take out the garbage right now and you didn't do it, she's going to be mad, right? But if she's not expecting you to go fold the laundry or sweep the floor quick in the house and you go ahead and do it without even talking to her about it, wow, right? Yeah. Rewards are on the way. Yes. So it, it's important that we understand how our mind works. And we, like, like you were saying, uh, we talk a lot about this in the film. Definitely. And when is the willingness factor going to be released, do you think? Well, uh, I don't have a date on that. Um, and one of, the, one of the reasons we haven't really crowded dates is because we're really promoting right now how thoughts become things. We want people sure. to get access to this. Also, the other thing, um, you know, with the film, the film, yeah, you get me, but you get so many other better thought leaders than me right. too. <laughs> people that I admire and learn from, right? People that I respect. And so um, we want to make sure everyone has a, a clear path to see this rather than sort of diluting it with any other side projects at this point. Yeah, no, no, I, I highly recommend the film. And in, like you say, there are so many experts, Marie Diamond and and uh, Joe Vitale. There's so many different people yeah. that are in that movie and it's it's just terrific. It's and, such and a learning experience. we selected them, by the way. There were we many did? people that wanted to be in the film and I, I won't mention any names because they're, gr- they're good people, right. but just their content wasn't, I felt, uh, powerful enough. It wasn't clear enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of the teachings were not... Um, accessible enough to people. And so I carefully chose who's in. And if you uh, take a look at the film, like you mentioned, okay, so I'll go through the cast quick. Bob Proctor, John Demartini, John Osrock, Marie Diamond, Bob Doyle, Dennis Waitley. Um, now I'm going to feel bad if I miss anybody. Travis Fox, Marina Bruni, uh, uh, Megan Fetz, myself, and did I miss anybody? 
I think I got them all. I think that's all. I, I hope I got them all. If <laughs> I missed anybody, send me some hate mail. I'm <laughs> humble enough to apologize on that. But yeah, I mean, see it. We've got some of the top, top leaders in the world in there. Um, but again, the, the most important person in the movie is going to be you, right? And True. what you do with it. And that's why we've included the workbooks and these kinds of things. Like what we say is, is great. It's wonderful stuff. But what you do with it is the most important part of the film. In fact, I always tell people that this film, really what it is, it's the beginning of a conversation that you need to have with yourself, right? And, um, you know, the other, the other big thing that I think it hopes you do is to take action. And if there's one action that you can do immediately that's going to change everything when you see this movie you're going to recognize that it's changed, changing some of the things that are currently influencing your thoughts, whether it's the people you're ha- hanging out with, whether it's the social media you spend time with, the regular media, the mainstream media. I love what Marie Diamond said in the film. She said, everything you put around yourself is like a three-dimensional vision board. That's kind of interesting. Yeah, that is. Right? And way to uh, look at it. Dennis Waitley also talks about in the film where he says, all reality is virtual reality, right? Meaning that it starts here and then it becomes what we create. I mean, there's so many powerful insights in that film, but what you surround yourself with is so ultimately important. Yeah, it really is. It really is. Doug, as we move on in the interview, I want to ask you five quick answer questions. So just 30 second answers are perfect. The first one is this. (laughs) Who is only one person who has influenced mindfulness to take place in your life? That's a great question. I would have to say, you know what? I'm going to cheat on this. I'm going to say it's my mother. And the reason why is because she was probably the first one to influence that mindfulness as well. Uh, The long and short, what she was able to do is she raised four boys. Okay, I got no sisters. She raised four boys. And after she was done, she actually went back and got her degree to work in the field of dentistry. And she started running marathons. And then when her knee went out, she started speed walking. And she actually took gold multiple times in her age category for speed walking. So for me, that's somebody who, you know, pretty impressive to watch that. Right. You know what, Doug? I don't think that's cheating. <laughs> I no, don't think maybe so. not. And I want to remind people, I've interviewed some of the biggest names in business, celebrity, athletics, et cetera. So my mom's still number one. Wow. Yeah. That's pretty now, amazing. Now, now maybe she can go make me a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> She's not here, but <laughs> if she watches this, right? <laughs> nobody makes them better than moms. You know that. Yeah, for sure. Hey, Doug, how has mindfulness affected your emotions? Wow, that's interesting. Now again, back to the authenticity part. I know of times in my life where I really, you know, felt upset, hurt, angry, frustrated. Everybody has those emotions. Yeah. But I can also think of a few times where um, I've just taken a deep breath, brought myself present, grounded myself, and it's given me power to gain back my power, so to speak, right? To to gain that control. So I, I would say that the you know mindfulness is. It is a very underrated, but very powerful tool that we all need to develop, right? Yeah. Yeah, it definitely is underrated. There's no doubt about that. Well, we haven't talked about breathing. How has breathing become a part of your mindfulness? Well, first of all, don't forget to do it. That's important. Yes, that is very important. (laughs) Um, You know, it's interesting. I'm going to kind of go to jujitsu for a minute on this one. Uh Uh-huh. Because I noticed when I first started doing it, my breathing was way off, right? Like Mm -hmm. I would get out of breath and I would find, in fact, the term that they use is gassed out when you're doing it, like to get gassed. And I would just find that my energy would plummet, but it was all attached to my breathing when I was fighting. 
I was a pretty strong guy. I was, I'm pretty fit. I eat well. Right. So I, I, you know, do all these things and, and generally also like I run, I ride a bike, I do all these things, but it's a different kind of breathing when you're doing mixed martial arts. Right. And so I think for me, martial arts is a reflection of life. Right. And so if we can understand that our breathing also sort of determines our approach, maybe that's a way to say it. Uh, emotion equals motion. So in other words, if you want to change your emotions, just change how you move. We know about that, a state change. But I believe that that state change actually begins with our breathing, right? I think if you really want to find clarity in a moment, if you really want to find, like, you've got to find the breathing that matches what you're trying to achieve, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does make sense. What book would you recommend that's related to mindfulness, Doug? Wow, you know, I've got a ton of favorite books. I would say probably my all-time favorite book. It's not called a mindfulness book. It's one that really, if you read it and understand it carefully, it is. And that's Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. I really found that to be absolutely a brilliant book. And just behind it was The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People for Teens by oh, yeah. Stephen Sun, Sean. I felt like those two books were just really powerful books for grounding people on what are our highest values, right? Beginning with the end in mind. Because I think like as I went and you know, studied the world's top achievers, I, I found something interesting. The strongest power that we have is the power of choice, the ability to choose. Most people don't recognize they have that. But when we understand that we have the power to choose and we can see the end in mind, it really makes everything along the way a little bit more clear, right? And a goal that's specific and clear becomes attainable and near. When we can see what we really want to achieve, we can start doing that. And the one thing that I love about Seven Habits is it clearly demonstrates that any choice based on immediate gratification generally is wrong, right? And this idea also, Stephen didn't say this, this is my own words now, but everybody says happiness is a choice. I'm going to say that's partly true. Happiness isn't really a choice. In fact, I spoke recently at a prison and there were lots of people there that made choices that they thought were the right thing at the right time, didn't lead to happiness or freedom, right? right? And so happiness starts with a choice, but it also is attached to the consequences that follow. So that's why I love what Stephen Covey is talking about with begin with the end in mind is that if we make choices that lead to the consequences that are going to bring us happiness, joy, contentment, peace, and also uh, expansion, the ability to make more choices, then to me, that's happiness. And that thought for me germinated, it began as I started reading Seven Habits. Are there any apps that can help with mindfulness that you would recommend? Well, you know what? Um, okay, so you're going to think this is bad. And anyone who sells one of these apps, they're going to hate me. You want to know the best way to be mindful? Shut your dang phone off. Yeah, yeah. 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 I've had many people say that. So, I, I, <laughs> so I'm not the first one. I'm so, not surprised that yeah, you said so that. I, I don't have an app, but you know what's <laughs> interesting is I intentionally forget to bring my phone with me sometimes. Ah. And um, one of the other things that I do um, for me to become more mindful is a couple of times a week, I actually go on a bike ride. I'm fortunate. I live in Canada. That is a beautiful place. We've got lots of national parks right near my home. We've got a beautiful one called Fish Creek. And I go and I ride my bike by myself. I'll listen to a podcast sometimes, but I, I definitely won't be, you know, connected with people. And then the other thing is I like to ride my motorbike. I just bought a brand new Ducati Monster. And your phone doesn't really work in a helmet. And I'm so grateful for that. Oh, that's cool. Right. And I don't listen to music or anything while I'm riding. I just be with me. You just live in the moment. Yeah, be with me. I'm, I'm okay. I get along with myself really well. So I think that, you know, that's the other thing that maybe people who struggle with self-worth and self, 
issue challenges, they don't really spend enough time with themselves to get to know who they really are and what they really want, right? The world's got too many distractions. And when it comes time to be still, they have a hard time with that. So I want to ask you this. Uh, do you meditate? I do. And what's that look like? What What's your meditation? Like? <laughs> what does it look like? Kind of looks like, no. Does it no, look no. like you riding the motorcycle? <laughs> you know what? I, I think meditation is an interesting thing. And if we had time for it, um, there's something that I found for this movie, in fact, that never made it into the movie. I don't know how much time you've got, but it's really kind of interesting. But there's really three modes of thinking, right? Meditative is one of them. Creative is another. And constructive is another. Okay. Right, and if you right. think about it like this here, if you think about them as glasses, right? Okay. Meditative is actually the one that has a full glass that empties it, right? So in other words, we've got to understand that, you know, meditation is, it's got its place. Creative is the next one. And that means the filling up. The last one is how we do it. And that means filling up to the top, right? So this one is the empty. This is getting full and this is full. Okay. So, now the so the creativity is filling us up. Is filling. So let's turn on your own to show that it's filling. Right, okay. Right. Right. Now, the problem with this, I think that a lot of people have misunderstood about meditation is they say when you're experiencing turmoil or challenge, like you just lost a loved one or you're going through a divorce, whatever, you need to meditate. And I'm going to say that's actually the worst thing to do based on the studies we found. When a person meditates with a bad idea and they stew and they think about it, they can't get clarity. And so therefore it causes them more depression right? But it's very hard when you are having uh, a divorce to be creative. <laughs> Nobody uh, yes. wants to think good thoughts. And if you've met somebody who's just lost a loved one, the last thing they want to go and do is paint a picture about it, right? right. Yeah. But this one here of construction is actually one of the most valuable. It means to get to work and forget yourself. Sometimes it means even to go and do something for someone else that they can't do for themselves. You're engaged, you're doing things and your mind actually in fact, it won't let go of the problem, but it'll put it in the subconscious to deal with. But here's where you are able to release your problems, right? And, and so I think, quite frankly, while we talk about meditation, nobody ever talks about these other two. Right. And they're just as valuable. And in fact, I would say probably the strongest one for me is the construction, right? Because when I'm constructing, when I'm making things happen, I'm kind of in the momentum and I don't really think about my problems to the degree where they burden me or paralyze me. Then when I'm empty, I feel like I've done a good job and I can be content because I feel like I've accomplished something. What is it that that one Navy SEAL says? The first job of your day is to start by making your bed. You start with an accomplishment, yes. right? Yes. So that's what this does. And then all of a sudden, now I, I feel like I've earned the ability to relax. And then when I'm relaxed, how many ideas have I had in the shower or at the spa or riding my bike or whatever that I can then turn into construction? So we've got to understand when you've got your problems, get busy. And then you can start receiving creativity to keep busy, right? I've never seen anybody teach that before. I was just going to say that. I was just going to say that. I've yeah. interviewed over 500 people, 550 people, and nobody's ever talked about that. You know, yeah. people talk about the meditation and, you know, getting focused on your thoughts and so on. But yes, the construction and the creativity. I love how you've put those three together into that triangle. Yeah. That's well, well, this is actually impressive. what we, we teach in my seminar, Personal Power Mastery, which I'm so grateful. It's just recently been rated as number three in the world. So we've got a lot of stuff that no one's ever seen. But if, if I can share with you why, the reason why, yeah. is because many of the other people out there that are teaching, like I said in the beginning, have read it in someone else's book. 
They've never really created multi-million or billion-dollar success. And so they're teaching what their gut instinct tells them is the right answer. Well, the truth is, is I went out and I interviewed 400 of the world's top achievers. I know firsthand, no one's done this since the days of Napoleon Hill. And by the way, I did something different than Napoleon as well. Napoleon primarily studied business leaders because celebrities and athletes weren't making the kind of money that they did in 1930. Right. So I included all varieties of success, including spiritual leaders, thought leaders, business models that didn't exist and everything. So I've got a really unique view of what it really takes to become successful that no one's really talking about. And I'm, I'm not saying this to be mean, but I've seen so many things that the gurus of today are teaching that's absolutely wrong and will slow you down. will hold you back. Right. Wow. Just giving one example, you hear this idea of, we talked earlier about influence, right? So they all say you've got to eliminate toxic people from your life. Yes. You know what? That's not true. The top achievers don't eliminate or run from problems. They don't. They face them head on, but they've got a way that they do it. So they don't say to a toxic person that either works for them or is in their life, go away. They don't say that. They will say that to an abuser. An abuser is different than a toxic person. So let's get clear. If you've got an abuser, you shouldn't tolerate that at all. But a toxic person, first of all, our programming has labeled people often toxic that are not. And typically, there are two kinds of toxic people. Let me just kind of share this. One is a complainer. That's somebody who doesn't offer a solution. They just right. complain, 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 complain. But if you know who you are and where you're headed, the end in mind, you don't have to endorse that. You know, someone can complain. That's fine. But you don't have to subscribe to that. You don't have to like on that channel, for example. Right? Mm-hmm. Now, the other kind of person, though, is a critic. Now, the interesting thing about critics is sometimes they speak the truth. Sometimes they bring up things that you need to know. I remember when I was a teenager, I had some people who came and I felt they were very critical of me, but what they were saying was true. Some of the people I was hanging around, not right. Some of the things I was thinking about and doing and not doing in school or whatever, I was wrong. And so oftentimes we label a person as toxic because our ego can't take being told that we're not doing something right. But the truth is, is we are not operating at our highest level. We are operating below our potential and our brilliance. And so we label that person as toxic and we don't spend time with them. So here's the thing with a toxic person, a critic. Generally, we need to listen to see what they might be saying. We just need to understand they may not be the best communicator. So they may not be sharing it in a way that's cushy, comfy, and feels good. But what they say needs to be heard. And so the real question isn't, are they a toxic person? The real question is, is my ego prepared to be taught? And one of the difference between someone who's chasing a goal, someone who's stupidly pursuing something that's never going to work, and someone who's being tenacious, which there's a difference, a stupid person is someone who's sitting in a room and they bang their head against the wall trying to get into the next room. When somebody comes and says, you know what, you might not want to do that, they go, go away. I know what I'm doing, Right. We tell people, yes. I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm good where I am. And those people never make a change. Those people are right. always exactly where they are and will be forever. But someone who bangs their head against the wall and goes, oh, that hurts. And someone comes along and says, yeah, it's because you're doing that. It goes, oh, they moved to a new spot in the wall and they may not even get it perfect then. Someone comes along and says, no, you should do this and that. Or they keep trying until they find a window or a door that gets them to the next room. And it may not be good. What they, like the, the feelings may not be good when someone says, don't do that. But eventually, they find the door or window, they get to the other room. So the difference between tenacity and stupidity, one can control their ego enough to be taught. The other cannot and will eternally repeat, banging their head in the same spot again and again. And whoever comes, you're toxic. Leave me alone. The other thing that's interesting about success is that success is never built by an individual. 
We see award ceremonies where one person gets their you know, Oscar or one person gets the gold medal. And that's kind of misleading. And it challenges our, our programming. It creates a, a challenge there. The truth is, is all success is created by a team, which means we must have others to learn from and grow from. And if we're really talking about business success, and we can talk about this another time, um, but you know, the biggest thing that keeps people from building multi-million dollar businesses or perfect family relationships or whatever it is, it's what we call selfish questions. Now, what do I mean by that? One of my mentors put it this way. Here's a selfish question. What do I need to do? How can I fix this? What do I, you know, what, what do I need to learn? No, no, no. Eliminate those. You need to find again this idea of a team creates success. And in, instead of looking at your business and saying, what do I need to do to fix this? You need to say, who do I know that can help me? Who do I know that understands this? Who do I know that has a system, right? Who can do this instead of me in a better way, right? And so we've got to understand there's a big dynamic. And like I said, so much of personal development has this incorrect. Your goal is not to step out of your comfort zone, like a lot of them are teaching. Your goal is to step into your brilliance zone. What are you really good at? And then how can you get help with the things that you're not good at? Don't step out of your comfort zone. The learning curve's too long. You'll never get there. Right. I think this is uh, fascinating what you're saying and and yeah. I'm noticing a new trend on social media and as all these protests are going on and this emphasis on uh, racial prejudice and and so on I notice that people are saying like here's my take here's my opinion on on, about uh, you. on racism and then they'll say and if you don't like it unfriend me and then people are actually bragging about how how many people. Hey, ten people unfriended me today. Yay! Yeah, and I'm like, it, you know what? It, it's I don't a very think childish that's point of view. Childish yeah. and selfish. The, the truth of it is, and and again, um, you know, I'm just going to declare the reality of it, which I believe personally. And I've got friends of all kinds of races, and maybe that's one of the benefits of growing up in Canada. We've got so many cultures that are here, and yes. I have had. Um, uh, boyfriend girlfriend relationships with people from almost any culture as well. In fact, one of my favorite girls that I ever dated was from Ethiopia. And so I've got maybe a, a different view on tolerance than others. So here's, here's me, my thoughts on it. You got to remember that energy has no color, right? Energy, what is the universe, what the universe is made of? Energy has no color. It really doesn't, right? That's true. And, Absolutely. Um, and we are all connected. And the truth of the matter is, is I've got, um, regardless of the color, I've got white people that I love and some that I don't connect with or click with. I've got black people that I love and don't connect with, right? We've got both. The color is irrelevant. The, it is totally truth, irrelevant. The, it's yes. totally irrelevant. It's totally irrelevant. And the truth of it is, is if we look uh, really at the connection between people, the other thing that's important is if I injure anyone, I also injure me. The universe is an echo chamber. Okay, now this is important. The universe is an echo chamber. And how you show up will always determine what shows up for you. So if you show up with hate, content for someone, if you show up with uh, feelings of prejudice or racism, or you show up with a limiting point of view or negativity or anything that injures or harms anything, not just other individuals, but anything, that's exactly what you receive back. But if you show up again with a feeling of gratitude, with love, with peacefulness, with mindfulness, with any of these things that are designed to empower and enlarge and expand other people, we will receive that in return as well. The universe is an echo chamber. We create what we experience. And we may not see it immediately. Some people call it the law of karma. And some people say karma takes time to get back to you. But no, it's working all the time. It really is. 
right? And you may not see it. The reason it might seem slow is because there's things that are going on that you just don't see, right? And I think it's so important to also recognize that ever since the Big Bang, we talked about this, the universe is expanding, right? Everything is expanding. So anytime you take a position that's contrary to that, whether it's even simply making an excuse on something or, you know, belittling someone or criticizing someone or hedging up someone else's path, not even your own, like you're trying to do this for other people to slow them down, right? Well, all of a sudden you're fighting against the entire direction of the universe, right? You're working completely opposite. And if you think it's no big deal, well, you know what? You're creating your destiny right now. And what do we say this? One of my big aha moments in life, I had a chance to visit the Great Wall of China. Yes. And we know that the Great Wall is visible even from outer space. It's the biggest land, uh, man-made land object in the entire world, right? right? But you know what's interesting? When you stand on it and you look down, you can see that it's actually made up of relatively small bricks, uh-huh. right? What we don't understand is our life is the same way. And so if we are thinking of creating some grand legacy of who we are and who we're going to become, what we're going to leave for our family and our kids and everything else, the programming that we're helping to create for everyone and everything around us, we don't recognize that it's made up of these really small thoughts, decisions, insights, comments that we make, posts that we might do on Facebook. That's all. Like when, when we're said and done, that's the essence of who you are and what you've created. Now, here's the good news is that our past doesn't have to equal our future and it also doesn't equal our present. And I'm so grateful that, you know, I've not been perfect with a lot of things I've done in my life. I've made mistakes. I'm just like everybody else, right? But first of all, I love what one person said. He says, don't judge another person because they sin differently than you do. I think that's Uh, interesting, right? That's a very interesting point. Don't judge another person because they sin differently. We all make mistakes. Everybody has mistakes. And there's power in being gentle with each other, right? And so if we will really seek, I believe, to start carefully looking at our decisions in terms of are they allowing for expansion, not only for me, but other people? And if they don't, we need to make some adjustments. And it's okay. You can start today. You can start right now. You can start right where you are, right? And even to this idea, if you feel bad about yourself in these processes, have you gone through something, whether it's someone's injured you or hurt you or a death of a loved one or whatever it is, the fastest way to feel good about yourself, believe it or not, in the construction area is to go and do something for someone that they can't repay, right? Go do something kind for someone that they can't repay. And I might also add, if you can do it anonymously, it's even better, right? That's really a great suggestion. And it's been awesome talking to you today, Doug. We had fun. You, yeah, we did have fun. And you, you offered so many great suggestions and so many golden nuggets about what you've learned through interviewing all these people. It's been fascinating. Well, we'll have to do so, it again. It was really fun. Yeah, and we can check out your website at douglasvermeeren.com. D-O-U-G-L-A-S. Yeah, you can do that. We've got lots of free stuff online too. So we've got a YouTube channel and Instagram. And there's lots, right. lots of good free stuff out there if you're interested. But yeah. And of course, don't you. forget about the movie, How Thoughts Become Things. Go to yeah. mindfulnessmoan.com slash thoughts. Yeah, yes. we're, we're really excited. It's, it's a great movie. It's getting great reviews. In fact, uh, right now we're uh, outselling the, what The Secret did for launch numbers three to one. So That's it's really fantastic. quite good. And yeah, a lot of people are finding it's, it's really the next step. And, and the thing that I, I'm very happy about it, 
is intentionally we put in practical steps that people can do. So it's not just, um, you know, entertainment where you're going to go, oh, yeah, really nice. I get, I get it. I agree with that. Uh-uh-uh. You're going to watch it and you're going to have some changes that will take place. And there's going to be some things that you'll do and you'll experience more. And uh, that's, I think, the blessing of this film is it really does get you involved. And I'm excited about that. I am too. I am too. Well, thanks so much for joining us today on Mindfulness Mode, Doug. It's been Anytime. great. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's been cool. It's yeah, been awesome. It sure has. Yes, thanks for having me. Absolutely has. Yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm grateful welcome. for the work you're doing. It's very cool. Thank you, Doug. Yeah. Okay. Bye now. Mindful Tribe, I hope you enjoyed today's interview. If you did, please tell your friends about the show. Every person who subscribes and listens helps our show. So in the meantime, take what you heard today and reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode. 